You are listening to the Robin of Sherwood podcast, season one, episode five, Eleanor Dale. Hello everybody and welcome to the podcast. My name is Sietse Wilman and I'm the creator of this show, which is all about Robin of Sherwood. Uh, I discuss this classic TV series one episode at a time with my co-host Andy Chesney, who has uh, Skyped in again uh, for today. Uh, Andy, thank you for joining. That's a pleasure. Yeah. Hi, mate. Yeah, nice to be back for Alan, oh, Alan Dale. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Alan Dale is uh, is the episode we're going to talk about uh, today, which means we're almost getting close to the end of the first season. So let's let's just dive straight into the story. First thing we see is a uh, little John. He is uh, walking through the forest. He's uh, carrying a fishing rod and a, and a bucket, but he's not going, uh, do, uh, going to do any fishing. Uh, he meets with Meg, which is his uh, girlfriend from the village of Wickham. I don't know why, but there's this weird shot in it where the camera zooms in on an owl have you have you seen that? It's, it's yeah, yeah. Awkward. It's very noticeable, isn't it? The um, yeah, the owl, the big owl, and in fact, the 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 opening credits actually start um right after the owl, don't they? It's kind of a strange opening. It's only a little scene, and yeah, it just kind of tells us that little John's been into the village, um, and we sort of we we know for the first time here that he's he's got a girlfriend. Yeah. Um, it's unclear at this stage whether Robin and his men know that little John's gone into Wickham or whether. He sneaked off, and obviously we find out soon what what the situation is. But um, at that point in the in the in the opening scene, we don't actually know whether whether they know or not. But um, no, it's, it's, but it's yeah, obvious I mean, he's, he's like sneaking around and he's uh, he's cautious. Uh, but the owl thing, I thought it was just a bit weird. I'm not really sure what what the point of that was. Yeah, and then, then but, we hear yeah. uh, uh, Mag say, uh, "Why? Uh, I don't know. Why do uh, they call you Little John?" Which is quite a, a, a naughty joke, I think, for for a family show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, a um, bit of innuendo, and um, I think um, another thing I've noticed with that opening scene, I always find the sound quality seems particularly poor. I don't know if, if you've if you've ever noticed that. It's kind of footage-wise, it always whenever I've watched it, and this goes for when it was back on video and and the, and even on the DVDs and that, I find the the sound quality is quite poor in that. Um, in that opening scene it improves uh, it does improve a bit for, for mo- throughout the episode it seems okay for most of it but i don't know if that's just me but i always i, I didn't notice it, it but uh, last time i watched it i saw it on the on the blu-rays so maybe they fixed it or maybe i'm just yeah the blue oh, the blu-rays the blu-rays are certainly better yeah but i, don't, certainly know, I pre- don't know if they did anything to the to the sound there there's obviously some some more uh, production problems with this uh, with uh, this episode. I'm sure we're gonna get to that. Uh, gonna get to that later. For now, at least we know that uh, John has a little uh, romantic time. Um, there's a funny um, sequence there between John and Mac as Mac uh, asks about Robin and the legend surrounding him, and she has all kind of uh, romantic uh, images in her head about uh, what life in the forest uh, is like. And I, I, I like that bit because it shows us that uh, Robin's legend is spreading already. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see that, isn't it? The villagers are um, already kind of, you know, they're hearing stories about him. And um, and obviously he's helped, you know, by this stage, he's he's, he's probably helped a lot of the, the villagers too. But um, 
probably not Wickham by the by the way that Meg obviously yeah she doesn't she doesn't know Robin yet so um but yeah it's quite funny isn't it you know she's like saying oh you know they even say he can make him he can make himself invisible you know <laughs> and yeah it's, she's, it's, she's it's, just it's funny him. how John reacts to that like when she's like oh and we go can go off in the forest and we'll dance around the fires or something like that and he goes just like Haha, yeah yeah we're gonna do that <laughs> yeah he, yeah he's just going along with it um yeah, he's just kind of, yeah, just keeping Meg happy, really, just with um, small talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, he is. Uh, but then uh, uh, Gisburn shows up. Uh, he's after an uh, illegal grain trader. That's why he's uh, he's sent to the to the village, I believe. Uh, anyway, he uh, sees John, who uh, escapes to the forest and uh, hides in the tree. So that's how he makes his uh, his getaway. Uh, then he gets back to the others in the camp. Uh, he tells them that he went fishing, but uh, well, Robin, being Robin, obviously knows that um, something else is uh, is going on, and he knows that uh, John has got a uh, got a girlfriend, and he tells him not to go there again because it's too dangerous uh, for the people of Wickham. I think he's he's quite strict on John. He's quite tough on him. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean it's. <laughs> It's hard for the it's hard for the Marys because obviously Robin's got his his wife living with them with him in the you know in the in the in the band, and obviously it's almost like and this kind of this is almost like a theme that goes on throughout the show. It's, it's almost like the others aren't allowed a girlfriend. Um, you know, it's it's quite it's sort of like oh you know I'm the, the leader can can have you know it's right for Robin to have to have one. And in truth, you know, Marion is um you know she she has proved herself as a as a worthy member of the you know as a of the band a fighting member of the group but yeah it's clear that robin doesn't really want um probably especially women he, he doesn't probably doesn't want more more of them in you know joining the band and it is it is a valid point he has about wickham because in truth yeah i mean if meg was to um if she was found out you know if it was if it did come out that she was you know having a relationship with, with one of the outlaws then yeah that would bring a lot of hassle to wickham you know the sheriff the sheriff would really use that in gisborne um against wickham you know for being in league with the um with the outlaws um so yeah robin does have a point but it, it is yeah it's a kind of it's a bit harsh on john but yeah i, I, think so other, I mean uh, he, he can't expect uh yeah. those guys to live in the forest and never have any uh love life whatsoever i mean it's only natural that yeah they wanna have that i mean they'd have to make too. yeah they'd have to make sacrifices to live in the forest i mean obviously once you become an outlaw, you kind of you've got to kind of separate yourself from those from those you love, haven't you? From the people you're close to. So, so basically, if they're close to anyone that's not an outlaw, potentially they're they're putting those kind those people at risk. So if any of them had a brother, a sister, or just if any family or girlfriends or whatever in the in, in any villages, it is putting them into is putting them in danger. And I think what probably got Robin, don't forget, in this situation with little John, the soldiers did actually um they actually caught him well they didn't catch him but you know what i mean they actually spotted him and started chasing him into the forest so of course you know if little john had been more careful it, it might not be such an issue yeah but, but but how could he be any more careful i mean he sneaked out there early in the morning i think or maybe uh it was, yeah. uh, was in the middle of the night i'm, I'm not quite sure I, he, he he was being careful yeah no i see what you're saying yeah i mean in terms of him in terms of him actually sneaking out of meg's meg's hut Obviously, he was clumsy because <laughs> he fell over that thing, and that's 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 what obviously brought you know brought his attention to Gisborne. But yeah, I mean, you know, from Little John's point of view, he wasn't expecting Gisborne to be there, at the, you know, crack of dawn, was he? And it was quite going back to the point you made, uh, you know, earlier because obviously Gisborne, um, 
you know, had, had arrived in the village. And you know, I quite enjoyed seeing Gisborne throw his authority around there when he was, you know, lying in bed with the sun up and, you know, this is this how you serve your master? And, <laughs> I, you know, it was quite a good scene. He's, he's really quite, good at that. Yeah, yeah. He's very, he's, he really excels in that kind of thing. Um, Robert Addy, yeah, Gisborne. Yeah, true. Mm. In the end, John gives in to Robin. He uh, admits that he hasn't really uh, thought it through and uh, hasn't really realized what a danger it uh, could be for the villagers. Um, after that, we see uh, another uh, like a slice of uh, life in the forest. Uh, we see the Marys uh, playing their uh, their forest uh, games and practicing with with a, a staff fight on the bridge where uh, Tuck uh, knocks off Marion and Robin and Jean uh, lifts up the bridge. So. Um, he's he isn't soaking or uh, or anything uh, and then at that point uh, a guy on a horse rides uh, through the forest singing uh, the outlaws uh, stop him as he's not a rich guy uh, he uh, in the end he has nothing to fear uh, from them he's just a poor uh, minstrel um, they joke around with him a bit because well he isn't very very good at singing they uh, <laughs> they think uh, but when he rides off they uh, uh, he announces that he's going to Nottingham to, to kill the sheriff uh, because the sheriff is going to uh, marry his uh, his love, uh, the daughter of a rich baron, and uh, that of course sparks the interest that, of, the, uh, of the outlaws. Yeah, that draws yeah that draws his attention. So um, it was just a nothing encounter really up to that stage, and he was about to um, to ride off, and then when he suddenly says, you know, going to Nottingham, you know, to kill the sheriff, and straight away, obviously, Robin's not just going to let that go. You know, they need to find out what's going on. I'm um, just going back a little bit though to the. Um, the staff fight, the, the the scene, you know, when they're playing around. Um, yeah, there's a couple of observations I've got from that from that scene. Yeah, it was it was a nice, fun, fun little scene. That obviously seeing them all practice and um, and obviously fired up, you know, knocking them all in the water and that kind of thing. But did you notice how Robin? He's kind of because the last time we saw him with the staff was obviously when he um, fought little, little John in, in Robin Hood and the Sorcerer. And have you noticed how he's, he's sort of showing off some, he seems to have some classy technique going on there, doesn't he? Have you noticed that, how how quick Mike Robin's handwork is, you know, handwork is with that stuff. When he when he takes on Tuck, he's really kind of like, you know, flashing it about. And it's a way of telling us that he's, you know, that he does practice with the staff from time to time. And um, he looks really, he seemed really confident with it, um, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, no, I, did, I didn't really notice that, but I think it's a great, great observation because... Yeah, that way we can see them uh, improve. And uh, I think all those scenes with them uh, having those uh, forest games, it's all about, you know, setting the atmosphere, but also um, making clear that they are practicing and they are getting better and they are uh, serious about taking on this fight. Yeah, it's also the only time in series one you see Robin without his, pretty much without his normal sort of tunic costume. On, on the log, the staff fight, you, you see him in just in just his pale green. He, he hasn't got his normal um, his normal tunic on in that. So that's just a that's just a little thing to note as well. Wow, you you, you always uh, um, have those uh, such a great eye for detail that I always after we've done the, um, uh, discussing an episode, I always feel like I have to rewatch it again. So just so I can uh, pay attention to those things that you've uh, uh, picked out. That's that's interesting. That's cool. Anything else about the fight or? Uh... No, no, no. It's yeah, Alan, the Alan the Dale yeah. and uh, the way he's, uh, he's introduced. Uh, you mentioned the uh, quality of the audio before. Now with Alan Adil, there's something strange going on as well. I've uh, read that uh, uh, he's actually uh, um, uh, overdubbed. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, his voice was dubbed by Simon Shepard. 
so yeah it's interesting isn't it like you, you wonder sometimes why people cast in a role when they haven't got the voice to match it it does seem a bit strange when you when you think about how many actors are actually out there you know you when you audition for part you you know you've probably got a choice of actors you you can take it just seems strange in a yeah, way to take I, I believe that they decided to overdub him because he wasn't uh, clear speaking clear enough well that's that's why you have auditions right I think Peter Hutchinson had a strong northern accent or or, or something I don't know they they yeah they either way they didn't um they didn't particularly like his voice so so yeah it was dubbed and he does sound like a gentle a gentle minstrel you know he um he's certainly not a charismatic guy is he the Alan Adale we get in Robin of Sherwood do you do you agree with no, that and I, I think the whole overdubbing thing you know makes him feel a bit unnatural and then the especially uh, the the new voice he's gotten is like really really overdone yeah he's a bit dreary nice enough fella but you you almost you you almost sort of think you know is you almost can't be bothered to sort of (laughs) follow his situation through you know what i mean he almost has that kind of alan adale yeah it's it's a nice episode and it's 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 a fun one but it's it's probably one of the weakest robin of sherwood episodes in in the whole show it just doesn't really add many elements, all the sort of extra elements that Robin of Sherwood had in abundance. You don't really see any of that in this episode. It's just, it's just, it's almost like it's just. It's Richard Car, you know, Carpenter was. Um, it's fair to say, you know, he was a fan of the ballads. You know, he he did love a lot of the Robin Hoods, the original stories. So even though he's brought his own take to it, he's put his own um, twists on it, and. Um, and made it more exciting, but he was still fr- he was still very keen on the you know the old ballads, and he obviously decided with Alan and Dale that that's what he wanted. You know, he just wanted to convert to convert the ballad into just a quite a straightforward episode, and it and it and it works okay. You know, it's, it's a nice enough story, but it, it it's just it's just not that exciting as an episode. Um, it's it, I, I always think it's the one episode you can watch in the whole thing where you just feel I, I just feel totally relaxed watching Alan and Dale. It's almost like you kind of sent. You just sort of feel that you've got nothing to worry about. You you can really just you can actually just really enjoy the episode without having to think much because there's not there's not actually that much going on really in the in, in the whole story. It's it's quite straightforward. Do you, how how would you view it? Well, I I do agree that it's it's one of the weaker episodes. I think it's the weakest episode in the first season, and I think a lot of the problem lies with uh, Alan Adele itself. First of all, uh, the character being overdubbed doesn't really make him uh, sound and feel natural. Then uh, the second problem I have with it is that he's so overdoing it, he's almost like like a cartoon character. And I think that would work as like a funny sidekick, but not as the main person in this story that we have to... I, I don't feel for Alan Adele. I think he's, he's a funny enough guy with his... Uh, Ooh, I'm gonna do this and that with my mighty sword. It's it's funny, but I don't really care for him, and I think no, that's, that's sure. one of the biggest problems in 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 this show that he doesn't feel like a real human being that I want to feel for, and I want to see him do well and and get his way in the end. Yeah, he's he's a bit of um probably not the nicest term, but sort of a bit of a drip. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, that's what people use that you know that's kind of phrase wet drip, wet drip sort of thing. You know, just. He just hasn't got much about him. He's he's a bit he's boring. He hasn't really got. It's just nothing to him really. Um, you can tell that. Uh, I mean, someone like Will, um, wouldn't have much time for him. And there are just slight. We do see slight hints of that later on. I think Will kind of loses patience just slightly, and he, 
he's the sort of he's the sort of character that would irritate Scarlett. Do you do you agree? Do you think? Yeah, true. Yeah. And and I mean, it's okay to irritate Scarlett, but uh, I think it's not okay if the character I'm supposed to care for irritates me a bit as well. I mean, mm. it's, it's it's funny, but I don't. Yeah, I don't really care for him and and that's that's a very big problem for me in this episode because well he's a very important character and and he he sets off the whole story um and of course uh the marriage are very surprised when they hear that uh, the sheriff is going to uh, get married so talk blurts out married but the sheriff hates women right after that we got to a scene where sheriff is in the, in, the, in the bath and has a uh, as Gisburn uh, rubbing dry and stuff like that. It, it, it has caused some people to speculate that uh, Reno may be gay. Do you think he is? As time's gone on, I'm more, in, yeah, I'm more inclined to, to think he is, um, actually. I think when, when I was younger, I wasn't too keen on the idea. I, th- I think there's a fair chance Reno could be gay. It's never stated. We don't know for sure. We can only we can only kind of form our own opinions. But um, but he does seem to hate women, and he just doesn't he doesn't seem to have any kind of romantic um, throughout the whole series. Not just just you know series one first series. The, the whole show, you know, you don't you don't ever see any kind of fondness or kind of romance or interest at all really for him in, in women. No, but we so, don't yeah, see him love anybody at all in the. Don't you think? I mean, he's, he's not showing any affection to guys as well. Oh, he's a right moody so and so. Yeah, I mean, um, j- just to compare, here's a comparison. If you were to compare Nicholas Gray, Nick Gray's sheriff to, um, say, Alan Wheatley, you know, the, the sheriff in the Richard Green stories. Alan Wheatley, it was clear that his sheriff, um, you could tell he found Marion attractive because back in those days, like Marion lived in the castle in those in in that version. You know, she would she would regularly go into the forest, but she was based in the castle. You could tell that Mar- you could tell that the sheriff really liked Marion's company. You know, she was an attractive girl, and um, and even though he was much older than her, I, I th- it wouldn't be hard to believe that the sheriff had feelings for her. And and, and you so so in that sense, you know, you you can look at previous sheriffs, and and they're they're certainly not gay, I don't think. But yeah, there are, you know, there is a chance with Dorano he, he could be. But yeah, going back to his temper. So yeah, that's right. Again, we see him losing. We see him out of control in the losing control in the bath, losing his temper. He throws an apple um, at Gisborne. Yeah, that's actually the, the moment I picked for, uh, for this week to, uh, to have a listen to. Um, the sheriff's thoughts and feelings about his, uh, his upcoming marriage. Why on earth did I agree to be united in the unholy bonds of matrimony with a pansy-faced 16-year-old virgin? As if she still is a virgin, of course. Do you think it's worth the money, Gisborne? Could it possibly be worth 10,000 marks? Why don't you answer? I assumed the question was rhetorical, my lord. Never assume anything, Gisborne, except an occasional air of intelligence. And when will the ceremony take place, my lord? When I'm drunk enough to go through with it. Good night, Gisborne. Yeah, so that that's it. I I've, I've edited uh, together a, a little bit here and there, but uh, how do you feel about these uh, these comments he's making? Yeah, the sheriff the sheriff has some cracking lines in this episode. Um, I th- I think it's, it's Nicholas Grace. He really kind of um, 
steals the show almost in this one. I think he sort of saved. You could argue he, he maybe even saves the episode. I think I think Nicholas Grace is one of is one of his very best performances as the sheriff, and um, and that was really good to see because. You know, the epi- it would have been a shame to see the episode descend into a farce. Um, but actually, that you know, that doesn't happen. It's it, it does remain a sensible episode, and because of the sheriff's bad tempers and his just just his general nature throughout the episode and and the way he, he's going about his his plans and things, he, yeah, you you can it it does keep it a serious it keeps it a serious adventure, but it's just it's just lighthearted in tone. The, the overall thing that's all, but. I agree, totally agree. He he really saves this episode. He's got some really great lines, but also the way he delivers them, it's so so awesome. He like he spits out the words and he's just blurting out just the meanest things he can think of. And it it was funny. And when I was uh, watching this episode a few weeks ago, um, and my wife was uh, with me in the room, and she's not really into Robin of Sherwood, but she was laughing out loud when stuff like this came came on. It's so funny he's so mean and such a such a nasty character but then again you can sort of pick up that the the actor behind the character is is really enjoying doing this somehow i don't know i f- really feel for the character but i also feel for the actor yeah and no, i agree I, th- I think nicholas grace excel you know he excels in this one and um and yeah i think he's clearly enjoying himself as i say this this the standard he just keeps it keeps it going right through the episode these lines just keep coming out and it's it's great to see you know like when he's insulting a bit later on we see him like when meg turns up in the castle you know and the sheriff you know he starts laying into her as well and and then he's, he takes the mick out of um mildred's voice you know no appetite and it's just yeah it just yeah it's just brilliant yeah. It's, it's, it's great stuff. Also, we, we've talked of, uh, before about uh, when uh, Je- uh, Gisborne joined the uh, service of the sheriff. I sometimes feel like the only reason that the sheriff took him on is because he needs someone to hum- humiliate and to take down. And, and Gisborne is the perfect guy to do that with. Yeah, it's kind of like the sheriff. It's all it's, all, it's like a win-win, isn't it? Having a having a deputy who you who you're always above because it means that you can. Put, you can put responsibility on their shoulders so in that sense you can kind of designate a lot of the a lot of the work you want doing to them uh, Robert Torino is not a very hands-on sheriff at all I mean he's very much one you see this again throughout the whole series you know he's very much wanting the others to do you know Gisborne and, and that to do his dirty work for him you know he never really makes much effort to catch the Marys you know he just but but in yeah he'll be the first to moan about it you know when they do steal some money or when something goes wrong he'll be the first to moan about it but actually what you feel like saying to him well what what have you done about it you know (laughs) you're the guy in charge you're the boss of the shire you've got all the resources and and, and besides that he he's the guy who hired gisborne when in the very first episode he uh, clearly states that gisborne isn't smart enough to do his job the right way the sheriff when he has these tantrums it's you know poor gisborne's often there next to him and having to sort of get you know bear the brunt of it and um and that just comes with being the deputy to a to a grumpy nasty sheriff really but um in the scheme of things you have to remember that gisborne would be well paid you know at the end of the day he's living there as well he's got castle comfort so i mean it's not like gisborne goes without you know he's a he's a horrible piece of work himself so i don't i don't really sympathize yeah, he, he gets to shout at the villagers which he uh, i think is exactly, really yeah. important to him you know to to he needs somebody to to bark at 
Right. Uh, so back in the forest, uh, Robin and Ellen Adil have a, have a conversation. Uh, Robin uh, tells him to uh, to forget about his uh, his girlfriend. Uh, so he's just a minstrel, and she's the daughter of a baron. Um, that's a bit of a strange comment. I mean, who is he to say anything? He's an orphan brought up by a miller, and he's married the daughter of uh, Sir Richard uh, of uh, of Leeford. So that's a bit a uh, bit strange. It's like the second time he does that. I mean, first he tells off John for having a girlfriend while, well, he's married to uh, Marion, who lived with him in the forest, so it's easy for him to say. And now he tells off uh, Ellen. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. You could argue sort of sound, it sounds a bit rich coming from Robin, doesn't it? I, um, I think I think there's just, you know, there is a bit of arrogance there with, with Robin of Loxley sometimes, and that does that does come through. You know, he's a very likable character, commanding leader, you know, and he, he's a great guy, you know, great. He's, he's a brilliant Robin Hood, perfect Robin Hood, um, I think. But but everybody has slight faults. And I guess perhaps that's one you could just pick in pick in, in Loxley's character. If you were to say what were his faults, then maybe that that's possibly it. But actually, sometimes not often, but just sometimes he probably forgets, actually, hold on, you know, just remember where, where you've come from, your your background, and, you know, and you're an outlaw as well, you know, so you're not really in any place to kind of be putting down other people's, um, you know, positions or, or ambitions or, yeah. yeah. But luckily enough for Ellen, uh, Marion uh, steps in and she makes a case for, uh, for helping Ellen. Um, well, most of all, because uh, Mildred would be, uh, yeah, would have a terrible life with uh, with the sheriff, but also, um, well, because she makes a case for uh, for giving love uh, a chance, um, and they realize that there's a lot of uh, money involved, uh, because uh, John was seen in Wickham. The sheriff has uh, uh, gave them a really big fine, so they're they're in trouble there. So they need money to help out uh, the villagers. So that's their uh, motivation to um, to get involved. It's nice. It's nice to see Marion kind of um, sticking up for Mildred in a way, because what you know we have to remember. Don't forget, Marion's only seventeen in this first series, and um, and she 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 used to live in the castle, you know, obviously with the sheriff and that. So so Marion particularly. This is why I think she's she's quite strong in her feelings about them helping, you know, helping Mildred and and Alan and preventing this marriage because she knows particularly how bad the sheriff is you know she knows from living in the castle you know and she, she she can really picture just what sort of awful life it would be um it would be for Mildred so yeah it's nice to see that um to see that for Marion and it's realistic as well because that's how she would how she would feel about it so they decide uh, to rescue Mildred who is uh, at that moment uh, going to be escorted by Gisborne to uh, Nottingham Castle um, so we have this, this, this fight between them. Uh, then uh, Robin and Gisborne uh, end up fighting in the, in the mud, which is quite a legendary scene, I think, from, uh, from the show. Yeah, it's a terrific mud fight, um, isn't it? And it's just thoroughly enjoyable to watch. It's revolting, you know, seeing them just squirm around and, you know, they're having to pull their own feet out of the mud, just their own boots out of the mud just to kind of move. And it's... Um, yeah, it's pretty disgusting, but it's um, but yeah, it's very enjoyable, and it's nice to get. It's just nice to see that kind of scene in Robin of Sherwood, because generally speaking, it's not, uh, you know, as I've as we've I've sort of touched on earlier, it's not a light-hearted show by any means, really, you know. But but it's nice that you, you get to see a bit of that from time to time. And Alan Dale was kind of the perfect episode for it, you know, being the sort of wide class, you know, class as the, the nice episode. So. 
so yeah you can put like a silly scene like that in in this one um that's uh, that's the scene that you've uh, picked as your uh, your favorite uh, to uh, to throw in there as an uh, audio clip so uh, we're going to have a listen to a small uh, small fragment of that Gisborne, stop playing around in the mud and come up here you look like a decaying dung heap keep down wind of me for the love of christ and that last line from the sheriff it always cracks me up i've i've seen it quite a lot of times and i always think it's funny how he totally humiliates uh uh, uh gisburn there yeah the de- decaying you look like the de- de- decaying dung heap one yeah <laughs> Yeah, and it actually starts with... A and, and they had they had to shoot this uh, scene twice, right? They did, and it's unbelievable, actually, when you hear that, because you if you, if you think about it, on average, you know, the, the chances of, of the footage getting damaged, you know, for any, for any scene is quite rare, you know, it would be quite unusual. It's not unusual for there to be several takes or a few takes on, on, on a scene. We know that's that's how production works, you know, there's always going to be takes involved. But, but, for, but for the actual original footage, you know, footage to be lost is care or, or damaged rather is, is careless and, and to think of all scenes for it to happen you know for for michael Prade and, and robert addy to have to, to to have it in that in that awful mud scenes um it must must have been awful for them having to having to do it again it starts also just bef- literally that mud fight sequence have you i always think there's a great stunt as well by um again by robin when he jumps as he as he's catching up with um because he, he overtakes Mildred and then obviously catches up with Gisborne and then you see him fling himself from his horse obviously on right onto Gisborne's and they and that's how they both fall now presume I'm presume presumably that would have been the stunt man um again Michael Prade double Wayne Michaels who did that because that was actually quite dangerous but yeah and then what and what do you think what, what what do you think of those those soldiers the crossbow shots that um you know obviously they're Robin's not at this point he's he's swimming away quite slowly as well He's not, you know, because he's tired, and you can clearly see he's not exactly quick to get to get away as he's swimming. And those those <laughs> those soldiers that are firing the crossbow, they don't they don't seem to get anywhere near him, do they? Um, no, the soldiers are worthless. <laughs> they are always worthless. They're like the stormtroopers, you know. They they run around, and but they're just you know never effective. Well. I, I think the only time when uh, we see the soldiers hit the 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 target. It's when uh, Robin's uh, father is getting getting killed, when they have him totally surrounded and are only at a, just a few feet of uh, distance. And with Robin himself, of course, so they can only uh, hit yeah. a target when they're really close to it and it's yeah. unarmed. And, and also, yeah, and it's, no, yeah, and it's noticeable that on, on both those occasions with Robin and his father being killed, um, that they're both standing completely still as well. So yeah, it's like you know, the sol- it's almost like the soldiers can only do their job basically if you literally just stand there for them, you know, and then they they can just about manage to shoot you, you know. But um, but yeah, Robin and Sherwood, I think they like to, yeah. they did seem to enjoy, por- they like to show to portray the, the soldiers being incompetent, didn't they? I always thought that was kind of a theme, a little theme that ran through through the series. They you often see incompetence from the soldiers, and and of course you know they they have to do things like that deliberately because it then gives the sheriff you know funny lines so he can sort of shout at them and take the mick. It's all part of the you know of, of how the episodes are written. But it but yeah, it's. Um, it's quite telling that you, you often see how incompetent they are. 
Yeah. By the way, I, I was uh, comparing them to the stormtroopers from uh, from Star Wars in the um, second to last Star Wars movie. I don't know if you've seen them or if you're into Star Wars at all, but there we get to see um, the story of one of the stormtroopers behind the mask. It would have been interesting if Robin of Sherwood once had a soldier becoming a real character and getting to know a bit of their backstory. I mean. How did they become a soldier? What does their life look like in the castle? Something yeah. like that. It would have made a great addition, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting angle, that. Yeah, because that's never really, certainly never been explored in Robin's show. Yeah, I mean, you, you could you could even have had, that's right, or you could have had a story where, like, a soldier, yeah, perhaps a soldier ends up becoming an outlaw or something, you know, like something happens to them in the castle, some sort of bad treatment. Maybe, maybe a soldier... You, you know, you could have had a story where, like, the sheriff or Gisborne perhaps kill one of the soldiers' own family or something, and when they find out, you know, they just can't, they can't bear to carry on working as a soldier, for example, and they end up rebelling and, you know, and end up, yeah, yeah becoming kind of like an outlaw or something like that, and then you sort of get to hear their story and things like that. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't recall that being done in um, in, any, in any of the Robin Hoods, really. Well, none that spring to mind, but, yeah, good, good idea, interesting point on well, m- maybe in the new audio stuff, we don't know what's going to be in there uh, yet, but uh, I don't think they're going to go for that angle. But uh, for now, like you said, they're uh, totally incompetent and they let uh, Robin get away and they think they have also uh, gotten their hands on the money, but then they realize that the sheriff has uh, outsmarted them because he had uh, taken the money to him uh, through another route. And uh, Robin and his men are really upset by this. And I think it's pretty... Uh, nice to see that the sheriff is smart and he's already counting on Gisborne failing to uh, to do his job and he already knows that the outlaws are probably going to get uh, involved in this. So I think it's 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 good to have that in there. It is, yeah, and it, like you say, it just shows that the sheriff is actually thinking ahead and he kind of it's almost like he's prepared for Gisborne failing. And, you know, he's probably, because up to this point, obviously, in the series, you know, the sheriff's had, he's probably had a few of these sort of situations, and we've seen similar things, haven't we? I mean, it's like Witch of Elston, you know. Yes, the sheriff's not prepared to let it happen happen again. Um, well, certainly not in this episode. Um, so, yeah, he has it sent sent via a different um, a different route. And, um, and yeah, and it's and, and it's quite good seeing, it just, and again, it just kind of shows that the Marys aren't, they don't always get their own way, you know, because, again, if these were half hour episodes, just like the old sort of black and white ones were, that kind of thing, it, it's quite quite often, you know, it just pans out and it's always like a victory for Robin and his men or something like that. But now Robin and Sherwood, it does kind of balance it out a little bit. You do get some stalemates sometimes and and, and obviously things, you know, there are little plans. Some, sometimes the outlaws' plans do get, um, get not, you know, get stopped or... Yeah, and it, it, it makes affected. the danger they have uh, to fear from the sheriff also a bit more real, I think, because if you have like a really dumb sheriff, then you know um, oh, you know they're always going to win. And now you still have the feeling that they'll probably win, but you have a sense of danger from the sheriff because he's also um, smart and, 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 you know, realizing what's going on. So he has, uh, can, can make a plan to counter that. Um, oh, uh, by the way, I, I was a bit mistaken before because it's only at this point that they hear of the fine that uh, uh, Wick- uh, Wickham has to pay because uh, Mac shows up and he tells them uh, about it. So so I was, I was mistaken before. Um, 
and uh, that means that the outlaws well they feel responsible for it because it was uh, john who got them uh, got the villagers in trouble so now they realize that they're really gonna have to get their uh, hands on the money uh, then we see uh, how badly uh, the reno uh, treats mildred already um, like you, you said, he uh, he mocks her with her with her voice, and he's just giving her a, a terrible time. He also seems to you know, uh, enjoy uh, haunting her, like when he says, uh, uh, "Good night, my dear. Dream of tomorrow's consummation." <laughs> <laughs> Nasty thing to say to her. Yeah, it must. The whole thing must just be like a terrifying prospect for um for Mildred. You know, it's. And how, and how how can I possibly disappoint my bride? You know, another of his <laughs> another of his lines in there. Um, and then uh, Meg uh, enters uh, the room. Uh, she's there to uh, to warn the sheriff that she has heard that the outlaws are going to uh, attack the castle the next day during the wedding. And she wants to uh, make a bargain with the sheriff uh, for him to to lift a divine on the village. Uh, uh, and uh, tr trade that for um, uh, his chance to catch uh, the outlaws. Um, the sheriff is <laughs> having nothing of it. Uh, he has her uh, sent away uh, immediately. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's clear that he does believe that the marriage are, are up to something. It's quite funny how quick he, how, how he cuts Meg short so quickly, you know, straight away, you know, she's barely into her sentence. You know, if, if you could pardon the village, my, you know, straight away he's like, get lost, you know, he's not having any of it, you know, throw her out. Um, but yeah, I mean, once Meg leaves the room, obviously, you then hear him discuss it with Gisborne a bit more. And obviously, you know, it becomes clear that, yeah, the sheriff is aware that actually the Marys could be plotting something. But he's just he's just in a very grumpy mood this, you know, this episode. And he wasn't, he, there was no way he was going to be bargaining with them. Um, with villagers, so yeah, and uh, well, uh, he's right. The Marys are up to something. Uh, at this point, we don't know their plan exactly, but we see that they have uh, figured out who will uh, marry the sheriff to Mildred, and we see them uh, dress up. We see them load bees into a cart. So we know that there's some uh, plan uh, being uh, being formed and executed there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Nottingham is getting ready for the wedding. There's uh, this funny uh, scene with uh, Gisborne, who uh, is rehearsing the cheering with his uh, with his men. That always uh, brings a smile to, to my face when he says like one, two, three, cheer. Yeah, um, it's funny that. And then um, Alan goes into the castle uh, and presents himself as uh, Father Matthew, uh, the priest that will do the will do the wedding. Uh, meanwhile, Marion and Much ride uh, a cart into the castle grounds, uh, dressed up as uh, as women. So we know that that uh, well, this is going to be like the the climax of this episode. It's all going to uh, happen uh, during the wedding. When Marion and Much turn up at the castle, there's um, and you see some scenes in the in the in the castle, you know, with all the the people, the busy market. Um, you know all the, all the people gathering round. There's actually some reused footage that they've that they've put in there from um, from Robin Hood and the Sorcerer at the archery contest. So some of all those sort of regulars, um, all those kind of extras that that were you know that we that we see at um, Annick Castle in in Robin Hood at the archery contest. They actually use some of those same, not all of them, but yeah, they they seem they use quite a lot of those same same scenes and put them in. So I don't know if you noticed that, but that's just something I'd... Um... Yeah, and then we see uh, how Gisborne fetches uh, Mildred. 
Um, that's also uh, quite quite a gentle moment, I think, when when she talks about uh, love, uh, referring to Ellen, uh, of course. And Gisburn also again shows his softer side. He doesn't uh, cut her off or uh, or anything. So I think even you know you, you sort of see you see a more human side to Gisburn. You know he it's almost like he knows he he knows that this life isn't for Mildred and. Um, and obviously, Gisborne himself knows what a bad man the sheriff is, really. And, and you can tell he does he does sympathise with Mildred, but obviously he's just not in a position to to do anything about it. You know, he, he he can't get his hands dirty, he can't stop the marriage. You know, it's not it's not in his interests, and he and he works for the sheriff. So, but it was nice seeing just a, yeah, a little moment true. there from Gisborne. And a few moments later, uh, Mildred finds herself face to face with Alan. Uh, who is disguised as uh, as the priest? And that's that's a, f- a funny bit there uh, again. I think uh, there's some humor when uh, Alan starts with the blessing and the sheriff corrects him, and he's making a really horrible uh, performance as a as a priest. Yeah, it's a hopeless performance from Alan, um, a play you know playing Father Jerovis. Um but he he just about stumbles through it, doesn't he? Um, and then obviously, Will Scott, you know, Scarlet sort of saves the day just in time. You know, he calls out, calls out outlaws, you know, in the castle, and just in time before they get married. So, um, and that's just what Robin wants. It's all part of the plan. And then the diversion happens, and obviously Gisborne sends his men all over the place, and it it all starts getting a bit messy, a bit chaotic, and um, and obviously, you know, yeah. and then Robin um, reveals himself because he one he's one of the monks. Um, disguised um up on this the stage and obviously he then appears to the sheriff and um yeah it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense sense to me the way they uh they make their uh, getaway because he draws his short uh, his sword at the sheriff and and i think that would be enough to to get away safely i mean if he puts his uh, sword on the, on the on the on the throat of the sheriff he could easily say well um everybody stand aside uh we're uh, we're off or I'll, I'll, I'll kill the sheriff. But he's not going for that uh, this time. Of course, we, we have seen that before. So I, I, I think they didn't want to pull the same trick twice. Um, instead, they come up with uh, with the plan with the bees. Yeah, those lovely bees. Um, <laughs> yeah, not not one of the best special effects um, we see. I mean, obviously, Rob... <laughs> That's, it's, I um, think that's, that's the greatest understatement we've used uh, yeah, so far in the podcast. I mean, they were they were huge, weren't they? These huge black blobs that you just see on the screen. I mean, it's one of those moments where that just kind of showed a little bit where Robin showed was just a bit of its time again. You know, that every now and then there was always going to be one of those scenes that just kind of dated it a little bit, you know, in the 80s or whatever. And that that B scene just yeah, but but, just but even in in the nineteen eighties, there there must have been a way have to been, have more realistic yeah, bees on screen. Have, well, that's the thing. Yeah, there must have been. I guess um yeah, and there was always a, there was always a big budget. You know, Robin Sherwood always had a decent budget behind it, but for some reason they just didn't really um they they didn't really have anything. It was just it was very lacking. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, and in my opinion, they they really dropped the ball there. Um, although I really do like the idea of, of bringing back the bees again. We have seen uh, Marion uh, work with bees uh, in the very first episode. 
we actually got a got a comment on Facebook that we didn't uh, uh, talk about that when we discussed uh, Robin Hood and the Sorcerer Part One. That we didn't comment it on uh, on uh, the first uh, time we get to see Marion working with those bees and then uh, putting her uh, her costume uh, down, and we get the first uh, look at her uh, at her face, which which was a really pretty scene. And I do feel like it's it's nice to have this sort of consistency that we know that there are uh, bees uh, around and they have somebody who, who knows how to uh, work with them. So I, I do like the idea and I, I, I get why it's written in there. But just the way it, 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 it's been done visually, it's really, really awful. Yeah, it is disappointing that they, they couldn't pull it off better. Um it is what it is, and um, what can you do? <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Uh, I was comparing it to uh, Star Wars uh, uh, earlier. They, they've uh, they've uh, touched up some old movies with some new special effects. I, I don't think that's really worked. So I don't um, don't advise anybody to to go back to this old episode and put in some more realistic bees or or anything. I mean, just well, it's it's become part of the episode now, but. Uh, it's it's not the best moment of uh, of the show. That's uh, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> for the marriage, it, it, it does work. They uh, they get back to the forest. Uh, Alan and Mildred are uh, are married there. So so love uh, conquers all. That's uh, that's for sure. Uh, everything seems to be all right. Uh, but then they found out that uh, the stolen treasure uh, contains nothing but stones. So once again, the sheriff has uh, has tricked them. He's uh, he's quite. Uh, pleased with himself that um, in the end uh, we see him in the bathtub with uh, with Gisborne he's stung all over uh, his body by the bees but he's happy that he has the money and he didn't even have to get uh, married uh, for it so he's, he's quite uh, quite satisfied yeah we didn't have to marry that silly girl um, as he puts it kind of thing um, yeah so it, it's kind of it, it's actually a pretty good outcome for the sheriff apart from his point of view, apart from actually yeah, getting stung all over by the bees, it's it's actually worked out quite well for him. And the Marys, again, Robin and his men, you could sort of argue they got the main objective was achieved in that they stopped the wedding, um, and that that was the main the main purpose. But obviously, yeah, they got no money out of it. But there, we do see right at the end there, obviously, because Robin, um, you, know, you can tell he's still feeling bad, and he's kind of like. What about the, you know what about the villages of Wickham and um but Mildred kindly hands over the um the sheriff's necklace that he gave her and of course that would be worth be worth loads you know so um so yeah it is actually a good outcome for them in the end because they can sell that's right they can sell off um sell Mildred's necklace and that that more than pays more than pays the fine for Wickham so yeah they still they still did get money out of, out of it. I, th- I think the biggest uh, uh, losers of this episode are, are the parents of Mildred. We don't get to see them, but they've lost the money. They've uh, lost their daughter, their, who they'll probably probably never see again. So I think it, the whole uh, thing uh, uh, turns out the worst for them. Would you agree? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think it does. Um, it's interesting to note in the next episode, the her father, the Baron de Bracy, he's actually um, pushing for the sheriffship. When King Rich, uh, when King Richard arrives, so um, you do hear, yeah, father's her father's mentioned in the next one. 
Also, what is what I like is when we see uh, Ellen and Mildred riding off. I feel like uh, there's this theme of how the legend of Robin is getting formed and spread across the country again. I mean, I think Ellen will probably sing ballads about uh, Robin Hood and his encounter with him and tell stories all over the country. Uh, and I, I, th- I think that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome because we we've seen that before in the beginning when Mag was was talking about about Robin. So we really get a sense that the legend is is spreading and the stories are um, are getting out there. Yeah, and I think the first series was very much about that. You know, it was kind of it was very much you know these episodes are sort of yeah they're telling tale telling these um, telling spreading you know these tales of Robin and his men. And the, the success they're having and, and the adventures they're, they're kind of going on. So I, I kind of feel that's what the series one was sort of um, geared towards. It was more, it was almost a bit more, I, I think the episodes were a bit more gentle. Not, you know, obviously there were still gritty episodes, you know, like Robin Hood and the Sorcerer and um, and Seven Poor Knights. But, but I think it, was, it, it did seem to have just a slightly softer edge to it. And I think it was more about just establishing, it was almost like in series one, they, yeah, they wanted to establish the legend of Robin Hood quite a lot, you know, quite strongly. Um, and building, it was very much building this reputation that, yeah, that Robin Hood has. And then when we move into series two, that's when like, Robin Assured really comes into its own and it just gets like even more exciting. It's just fantastic series too. It just gets really exciting and it goes much deeper and darker even. And it's, um, but, but yeah, series one is, is a very nice self-contained, um, it, you know, it works well as a mini series and it's, yeah, it, these are good stories to just kind of set the ball rolling. Yeah. And, uh, and I like uh, the, the way that they explain how the story inside the story is getting uh, spread through the country and and it's it's uh, that's going to come up on, uh, on the next uh, episode as well in the, in the king's fool uh, how far uh, their their legend has spread uh, already uh, still i think this is like we said before one of the weaker episodes uh, there's some uh, production problems with with the uh, audio with uh, with the overdubbing uh, with uh, effects of the of the bees uh, zooming around, which don't look uh, convincing uh, at all to me. So um, yeah, I, I, and I think it's a shame what they did to the character of Alan Adele, which I like, and he's uh, in the uh, like you said, he's in the original ballads. Uh, at the moment, I'm, I just started reading uh, uh, the book by uh, Donald uh, Angus, I think he's called, about uh, um, the hooded man. Uh, Outlaw. It's the Outlaw series. I don't know if you've read it. Um, I haven't actually. No, but it's it's, it's this uh, really gritty version of the story. Uh, Robin is doing cruel okay, things. Well. Yeah. I, I just started it, and Robbie Robin has also done some horrible things. But the narr- narrator in the books is uh, Alan Dale. So all the books I think are are from his uh, perspective, and. Um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's too too bad that in Robin of Sherwood he only shows up once in not very convincing way. He's like a throwaway character, and I think yeah. they could have done more with that. So I'm I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. oh they could have done yeah. I mean, Alan Dale had a lot of potential. Obviously, he's a well known character in in the legend, in you know, um, in in the stories, the myths, and everything. And then um, yeah, I mean, he, he they could have done they could have done more with him. He could have been he could definitely have been a, a character, a guest character that comes back again. Potentially, he could have even been one of Robin's band. You know, I don't think that would have worked in for Robin of Sherwood. Not just because of 
the guy Peter Hutchinson who was cast but I just think in general I just think you know Robin Sherwood was a, a, a small you know a tough gritty band and I, if, a minstrel probably wouldn't really help, uh, suit them that well but 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 just but yeah I, either way he the character was disappointing in in this version um unfortunately and yeah there, there was just it, it is a bit of a shame because yeah there is a lot of, in say Allendale there is a lot of potential there um it's interesting how um series three uh, sorry um how the bbc robin had actually used Anne and the dale was one of their regular uh was one of their regular marys wasn't he one of the, the band in their in their story he was he was a very prominent character in that in that bbc yeah. version yeah, he, um, he actually uh, doesn't show up in a lot of the uh, original ballads, but I think he's. Uh, we get to see quite a lot of him in, in most uh, adaptations of the Robin Hood story. Maybe because it's it's a good tool to tell to tell uh, the story. I mean, it's it's handy to have a, a storyteller in your story, like uh, yeah, uh, the the Outlaw series uh, I just just mentioned. Anyway, so so yeah, yeah I, I agree with you that. It, it's a good choice not to have him join the band, but it would have been an interesting character to show to show up every now and then. But but not in this version. I'm 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 happy we don't get to see uh, this Alan Adil uh, again later on. Yeah, me too. Right. So uh, that leaves us with just one more thing to do, which is uh, to hand out uh, the uh, arrows for this uh, for this um, episode one one to five. Have you already made your made up your mind? Well, look, I, I'd still give it. I'd still give three three arrows. Yeah, I, I was somewhere between two and three, and I, I've decided to to, uh, to give three as well. But it's 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 gained a complete extra point just by the performance of uh, uh, Nick Grace in this because he yeah he spits out his lines uh, in a great way, and it's I think it's by far the funniest episode from the whole series, and that's worth something as well. So that that kind of saves uh, saves the day for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So that, that uh, brings it to an end score of, uh, of uh, three arrows, which is the lowest we've handed out uh, this uh, this far. But still, it's it's good enough. It's uh, it's three out of five. It's not it's not that bad. No, and I think I think this is the thing. I think Robin and Sherwood is such a high quality series that I mean I don't think any episodes will probably get a really low ranking because um, yeah because I just think there's so much quality in each episode. There's always you know it's always going to be probably at least an average, you know, it's going to be hard to get an episode less than three, three uh, three hours, I think. So uh, that brings us to the end of, uh, of this uh, episode. As always, uh, I want to thank you, Andy, for, uh, for joining in. And uh, I also want to thank uh, Bram Brouwers for playing our theme music. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the first season, so next time we're going to talk about uh, the last one, which is uh, The King's Fool. Now, uh, we can, uh, can't say too much about it just yet, but we are working on some bonus episodes after that of this uh, podcast with some special guests. Um, we hope to be able to confirm that uh, pretty soon. Uh, to stay up to date uh, about uh, stuff like that, uh, you might want to like us on Facebook. You can do that on uh, facebook.com slash Sherwood Podcast. You can also leave a note there for us or send us an email on SherwoodPodcast at gmail.com. We don't know uh, on what device you are listening to this right now, uh, but if, our, if you are using an app that uh, gives you the chance to hand out uh, stars, uh, please give us some. Uh, please give us just just a bit more than Alan Dale just got from us. Uh, and the more uh, positive reviews uh, we get, the more people we can reach. So that's pretty, uh, pretty important to us. Uh, for now, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you tune in next time and may Hearn protect you.
Are you ready? Deep breath. Cheer! We'll try that again. On the command, cheer. Cheer! Are you trying to be funny, Gisborne? <laughs> <laughs>